Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 162 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Man, I, I got to tell you, our world just needs some hope, right? Just like absolutely needs some hope. Uh, the day I'm recording this is one of those days where yet another attack has happened, and it's just it's crazy, you know? And, and I know this podcast is about leading like never before, but you know what? At the end of the day... I hope this is a forum that gives you hope. Uh, one of my little missions in life is to try to make sure that that evil doesn't win and that the good people have a voice and a platform. And I know you're good people as a podcast listener, as a leader, as people who are trying to make a difference in the world. And I'm just so glad to be in this with you. You know that? It's tough. I mean, we've got, we got social issues and... Um, we also have a lot of personal issues. And last week we heard from Carlos Whitaker, a really honest conversation about how porn almost destroyed his family. And today we're getting into similar territory, not about pornography, but just about, you know, so much of the, the, the leadership game is just mental. It's what happens in your head and in your heart. And my guest today is Jared Wilson. And he talks about some real struggles he had as a young adult and even in the church as a young leader. And um, hey, just a note, like we had last time, this is kind of mature content. No, there's no language or anything in it. It's just like, this is the heavy stuff. This is the stuff that, you know, if we're not careful, will take us out, the heart stuff. And as you listen, like listen with your mom heart, your dad heart, and your leader heart, because you know what, stuff like just depression and even suicidal thoughts, they take out way too many leaders. And so I really, really hope that this encourages you. I, I, I just don't think people get over-encouraged. So I hope this is going to be really powerful. Jared Wilson, who's a pastor in Nashville, also an author and a podcaster in his own right, is my guest today. And um, hey, I just want to let you know about a couple of things that are happening. Number one, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, would you do that? Would you just take a moment and just subscribe? Because I know I only listen to the podcasts I subscribe to. A lot of you, maybe you find this in your inbox or whatever, but a quick old subscribe, which costs you zero dollars um, means that this stuff shows up in your inbox. And we've got some bonus episodes coming up this fall as well, some good stuff coming down the pipe. Also want to let you know, speaking of pipe, uh, have you heard of the Pipeline Leadership Conference? It's happening in Orange County, California in February. So on February 22nd, I'm going to be there for Pipeline West along with some other great speakers. Um, it is not just because I'm Canadian and leaving the snow for sunny California. Have you ever been to like Mariner's Church? Like you ever gone there? It's, it's like a spa that disguises itself as a church. It's unbelievable. Anyway, February, it's going to be beautiful. We are going to talk leadership. And one of the key questions I get asked over and over these days is, how do you develop a leadership pipeline? Well, guess what? That's what the Pipeline West event is all about. So I'll be speaking into that. You can go to myleadershippipeline.com. And here you go, podcast listeners. If you enter a promo code before October 31st, 
Reformation Day, also known as Halloween. Um, actually, two holidays, one day. But before the end of the month, and enter the promo code Lead Like Never Before gets you ten percent off your ticket. So go to myleadershippipeline.com. Let's hang out in February, and uh, that's going to be an awful lot of fun. Also, I know some of you are looking for um, solutions for help, and this team has been growing this year. And you know who I turn to again and again? Belay Solutions. They've helped a lot, and uh, I would love for you to go to belaysolutions.com slash carry. That is C-A-R-E-Y, so belaysolutions.com slash carry. Um, you'll see how sometimes 5, 10, 15, 20 hours a week can make all the difference in your ministry. It's sort of that principle, only do what only you can do. And that's what I try to do. I try to focus on content. So actually, a couple of my team members, Holly Beth, who manages um, this whole podcast, show notes and everything like that, and also Leanne, who does all my speaking engagements, um, they are Belay Solutions people, and they are fantastic. So I use them. And if that can help you, make sure you check that out at belaysolutions.com slash carry. And without further ado, let's jump into this episode. And again, just thanks for being one of the good people. And if you are discouraged... I think this will encourage you a lot. Here is my conversation with pastor, author, podcaster, blogger, Jared Wilson. Well, this has been a long time coming, but Jared Wilson, finally on the podcast, you and me. Good to see you, man. Thanks so much for having me, man. I know we've been talking about this for a while. I think I think it's been just... years, literally. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I need to hang out with my Canadian friend and uh, get on his <laughs> podcast. So I'm glad it's finally happening. Oh, uh, so am I. Hey, Jared, you've got a, a new book that releases in the fall of 2017. And, and it's really about a personal story that I know is probably going to impact almost every leader listening, uh, whether that's a personal story or somebody they're married to or a parent or a child or a best friend or, or, you know, even further than that, somebody in their church. But um, you've dealt with depression and anxiety, and uh, you've written about it in your new book, Love is Oxygen. So what? tell us a little bit about you and, and the background there. Yeah, so, I mean, I grew, I grew up in the church, the local church, uh, all my life. Uh, my parents were incredible people, strong believers. I mean, Bible study on Wednesday, church on Sunday, uh, memorize a Bible verse for extra allowance. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, every bumper sticker imaginable was on the back of our car. Um, you know, it, 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 I did have an incredible childhood. Um, and, but when I came to my teenage years, I, uh, I snapped my ankle at a club soccer tournament and, uh, was about 30 minutes away from getting my leg amputated, um, oh after I snapped it. And, Basically, what happened was everything I had known in life um, kind of had gotten stripped away from me. So mind you, it, that wasn't the only thing. I mean, I, I was a teenager. I was doing some rebellious things. I was turning away from God kind of in the beginning already, questioning a lot of things, calling myself a believer, not really acting upon it. But when I snapped my ankle in high school, uh, I had this plan. You know, Jared's plan was to play college ball and then try to play in the MLS, try to play pro. And I believe yeah. I was good enough to do it. I, I really believe it. You ask any of my friends, ask my family. I believe I was good enough to have gotten to that level. I was not good enough to play probably European pro because not many are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I believe I could have done well, at least in the MLS. And when I broke my leg and almost had my leg amputated, I, I basically I lost everything. So everything about wow. me, my identity and who I was, I could no longer do. I lost all my friends, was no longer hanging out with the same people. Um, my calendar no longer had practice and games and meetups and scrimmages. It was, I was sitting at home. Um, I could, I couldn't walk. 
Um, everything was just stripped away from me and I was left with just Jared and just Jared didn't have God really in his life. And so because of that, um, when I was about 15, 16, I began this downward spiral of depression and suicidal thoughts and, and just this emotional roller coaster that was crazy. I mean, you ask anyone in high school, they would not have known what I'm telling you right now because I put on a front. I put on the face. I was the happy, funny, go lucky guy. But when I got home, I was depressed. I was hurting. I was broken and I didn't know where to turn. Um, I reached out to a lot of, of people in the church that I was attending and the people who were at the churches we were attending were just ill-equipped to handle the conversations that I was bringing to them. Yeah. I was not yet ready to tell my parents about it, right? That's that's just so the they didn't typical know. thing. My parents didn't know. But I took a small group leader's you know, question seriously one time when they said, hey, does anyone have anything they want to talk about? And I brought it up and I said, man, I've been dealing with a lot of depression. You know, I've had some suicidal thoughts. I'm not proud to admit this. I'm a little scared of it. And the response that got back to me, well, the look on his face was like, oh, dang, he took the question seriously. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I was trying do. to get out of here in 10 yeah. minutes for pizza, like, right? Oh, yeah. Warning, warning, you know, abort oh. mission. Like, I, I shouldn't have asked that question. Some kid actually took this question seriously. Yeah. And when I, I I responded to it, his basic response to me was, well, we'll keep praying for your brother and move on. And so oh, I, re, I, I basically backed myself back up into a corner um, after that happened and no longer wanted to talk about it. Um, so that was I, like well, your, your one out and it wasn't yeah. safe and you turtled, you retreated. I basically put all my eggs in one basket and said, all right, let's go for this. Like I'm all in, I'm going to admit it, you know, every Sunday or whatever it was, you know, our youth pastor was saying, you got to admit you're broken. He's got to explain what you're going through, be open with God. And I did. And the guy didn't know how to handle it. I don't blame that guy. I'm not mad at him. Um, I would say I'm more frustrated with the local church who didn't equip the guy to actually handle the conversations he was actually asking his students. Um, and so because of that, I retreated pretty far and the depression got worse and I still was no longer talking to anybody. And it got to the point where when I was about 19, so this is five, four years in the making, mm. I'm sitting on the top of this place called Skyline uh, in my city of Corona, California, which is basically a this massive mountain that overlooks all the city. To the right of me is San Diego, to the left of me is LA. And I'm oh. sitting here Googling painless ways to commit suicide because I did not know what to do. Man, oh man. And you know what? Um, I think back to my early days in ministry and even my volunteer time in ministry, and I'm sure there must've been a circle where somebody said, man, I'm feeling really bad. I'm depressed. And, and you know what? It wouldn't surprise me if my answer back then, I can't think of a specific situation, would have been, well, I'm going to pray for you. And then, you know, I burned out 11, 12 years ago, and uh, it's a whole other story now. I mean, I get it to the to the level that I never got it before. That's uh, That's tough. So you just lived in isolation. Um, did you have a best friend or anybody who knew about it, or it was just sort of your burden to carry? It, it was it was my burden to carry because I felt like I didn't want to burden anybody with what I was going through. And you know, the reality is, is when people say I'll pray for you and I'll keep you in my prayers, I know that they're not meaning it maliciously. A lot they're they're yeah. that's what they're saying because it's all they know what to say. 
which is why, and we can get into this later on in the conversation, which is why it's so important the local church is equipped to handle conversations surrounding mental health so that the only response isn't, I'll be praying for you. Um, right. And that's why I'm so passionate about this is because every, basically I'm the guy who's raising my hand saying, hey, I'll champion this. Um, because no one else in my age group is in the local church. There are guys like Rick Warren and Derwin L. Gray who are championing this, and I love them. And they, these are guys who I respect and I look up to. Um, but when it comes to my age, I'm like, hey, I'll be the guy that's championing this, especially as a pastor and a Christian leader, um, because I want I want to be a guy that a that a, a kid who was my age back then, you know, I basically want to be the guy that I didn't have when I was younger. I get that. Or somebody I else. I get that. And let's go back in time. So to plot this out, 15 to 19. I mean, we're not talking about the 60s or 70s 70s mm-hmm. here. This isn't that long ago. So when would that have been? Late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah. So I graduated high school 2007. So I'll be 29. I'll be 29 this year. So I yeah. graduated 2007. So this would have been 2000, basically... This would have been 2005 to 2009 slash 10. So that is not that long ago. And for some of us in leadership, that's on our watch. Like this, yeah. <laughs> this wasn't like our parents' church. This, this is our church and our reality. And to think, you know, and I think you're probably right. The guy who you, it, it's, such a, it's such a chilling reminder that you, you mentioned that once. And I'm sure your youth pastor uh, either had to get home that day or really wasn't trained or equipped for it, or maybe was just having a bad day. But to think that that one interaction, and that's such a reminder for me as a pastor. You know, I did a student event last night and, you know, a couple hundred students in the room, and I stayed mm. half an hour, 45 minutes talking one by one, and it was life-giving. Yeah. But you, you know, to you as a church leader, that's one of a thousand conversations you're going to have this year. But to that person, that may be the only conversation they have. Yeah, and let me let me share a story with you really quick, just to further um, show the importance of why I'm super open and outspoken about yeah. all of this. Like, I have no shame in, in talking about any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is, just like sex was a, a stigma and something you didn't talk about and taboo in the church, you know, 20 years ago, it's like, hey guys, we got this series coming up, and it's about what mommy and daddy do when they make a baby. You know, keep, <laughs> right. keep your kids at home. It's going to get a little, you know, awkward. Well, now it's just like, hey guys, we're talking about sex next week, so we'll see, you know, you know, if you want to leave yeah. your kids, you know, if you don't want them to listen, don't bring them, but it, the taboo and the stigma is gone. Um, right. My hope is that the the stigma surrounding mental health will will go in the same course, but here, here's a, here's a, a really actually very sad story just to further my point of why I'm so outspoken about this. I spoke at um, a Christian school uh, about a year and a half ago. And when I was talking with my contact at the school, they said, hey, you know, I'd really love for you to share your story with our students. Um, and I won't say the area because it's a small no. area. You'll, you'll know what sure. school I'm talking about. Well, somebody could figure it out. Um, they said our area is a um, is a high suicide uh, area in the country. And so your story of battling with depression and suicidal thoughts and, and kind of your story of, of finding hope and, 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 and a, a purpose amidst all that with God would be really powerful for our students. And I said, man, I would love to share about that. So I get there and I share my story. Um, and man, kids are like, I don't ever mean to do this, but kids are crying. (laughs) Teachers are crying. Um, obviously there's hope at the end of the message. I I obviously explain hope is found in God. And then there's a line of kids afterwards that want to talk to me before the bell rings and they have to go back to class. And so 
I mean, it is literally a line. There's probably, I mean, there's probably 400 kids total at the school that were listening. And maybe there's 80 to 100 lined up to come talk My to goodness. me. Wow. And so I spent as much time as I could before the bell rang. And either, even when the bell rang, teachers let the students stay in line to come talk to me. Um, there was a, a teacher standing next to me. Um, that was there to, for accountability, which I always have, especially when talking to people who are underage. Um, and so, you know, student after student, you know, I prayed for him. I said, man, I love you. You know, open up more, you know, talk to your parents, you know, please know I'm praying for you. Please know that God loves you. Please know that, you know, seeing a counselor is maybe something you want to talk to your parents about, you know, maybe you want to talk to your pastor about this. So I was giving them all these practical applications of how they can go seek help other than just saying, I'm praying for you. And then this one girl, she was the last person uh, to, to come meet with me. Um, she walked up, she was wearing a hoodie. She had the, uh, she had the thumbs, uh, cut in her hoodie where she was, you know, putting her yep. thumbs through. That was an immediate red flag because most people who cut, uh, do that so that their sleeves don't come up. Um, so they cut holes yep. in their hoodie sleeves to where their thumbs can go. So it keeps it down. She was uh, a little somber coming up to me. She had her hood on and I was talking to her super sweet girl. And she began telling me about depression and just kind of the the drama she's having with her family and how her and her dad don't really get along. And she's been, you know, she's had suicidal thoughts before and she feels depressed. And I just loved on her, man, and just told her I was here for her and, and gave her the same applications that, you know, I gave a lot of the other students and told her to check out the Anthem of Hope website that we have where there's a live chat you can talk to yeah. a Christian right now who will help coach you through this. And um, and then when we were done, I prayed for her. And, you know, once again, the the chaperone lady or whatever was right there with us. And when she left, she looked at me. She said, don't worry about that girl. I was like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Mm. And she said, oh, she's just drama. And I said, Ooh. and I said, oh, OK. Like, I didn't know how to respond to it. And I yeah, said, yeah. oh, OK. D-, you know, didn't really know what to say about it. Well, that's that's not even the bad part of the story. Then I'm talking to my main contact of the school and he's. Oh, you did incredible, man. It was such a blessing. These students, man, you see them. They, they, this, this is something we needed. We need to talk about this. No one's talking about it in our area. And we have such a high population of, or percentage of suicide. And they go, yeah, man, I talked to this one girl and she explained this, this, and this. He goes, oh, was her name this? I said, yeah. He goes, oh yeah, she's kind of drama, man. She's, everyone knows her as kind of being that girl. Don't like, don't, don't worry about it. Don't, you know, she's, she's always coming up with some new story. Oh, it gets even worse. Okay. <laughs> I go home. I go home. Two weeks later, uh, I get an email. I get an email from a parent who heard about what I talked about. Um, I'm sorry, it would have been would have been uh, a couple of days ago. I'm sorry, a couple of days after I got home, I get an email sure. from a parent who said they were extremely disappointed in what I talked about during my conversation with their students. That they would never, uh, they would. Um, what, what did they say? They would recommend to the staff that they never have me back at that school um, and that I should not talk about such pressing issues like depression and suicide to a bunch of teenagers who are obviously not going through enough in life to where they would even understand what depression is. Oh, it gets worse. This oh, is the best. No. This, is the, oh, no. this is the worst part. Oh, I almost no. said best part. It's not the best part. It is the worst part. I get that email a couple of days after I get home and I start telling my wife what I got. And now I'm starting to feel bad. Did I do something wrong? My speaking agency is reaching out to me going, hey, man, this lady sent us this nasty email saying she's never going to have you back. In all my years of speaking, this is the only negative email I've ever gotten. Yeah. And I'm I'm racking my brain going, did I say something wrong? I, I didn't say anything. I've never 
said before with students, but I offered them hope. I was just talking honestly with them about my story. A week later, I get a phone call from the the principal of the school letting me know that that girl that I talked to at the end of my um, my conversation had just committed suicide three days earlier. It's, it, and I literally, dude, I broke down in tears. That's and I'm looking, horrible. I, I, I call my <laughs> wife and I go, you're never going to believe this. And she goes, what's up? And I said, hey, you know that girl I told you about that I talked to and everyone kept saying she was drama and and then that lady sent me that nasty email saying they're never going to have me back because how dare I talk about something that these students are too are too young to even possibly understand. She goes, yeah, I'm like, yeah, that girl I talked to, they just let me know that two or two or three days ago she committed suicide and they had her funeral yesterday. And so everything within me, Carrie, wanted yeah. to message that lady and say – whatever I could think of, you know, verbal vomit in an email, you know, who's the idiot now? Who Who's dumb now? But I feel like the situation speaks for itself and it just breaks my heart. And that is why I'm so vocal about this. And I get flack about it all the time. You know, it, I get flack about it all the time about uh, how Christians just... shouldn't. Yeah. Christians shouldn't deal with depression. They have Jesus in their life, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm vocal about this because there's real people um, there's real students who are Bible-believing, God-fearing Christians who are dealing with the darkest of times because we see that all throughout the Bible. Some of God's brightest saints dealt with the darkest of times, and it's no different today. And I talk about this, and I'm so vocal about this because life matters and because lives are at stake. Uh, I'm I'm heartbroken like yeah. that. You got me tearing up because that is really sad. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that is that <laughs> is so sad. Jer. I don't either. And you know what? Uh, and last night talking to those students and it's not I'm not usually in front of student audiences, but it was one of my favorite events in a long time. And just to see, you know, I said to Rich Birch, who organized it and invited me in, I just said, gosh, it's been a long time since I talked to students. And I said, I wish adults had questions like that. Like, yeah. I wish I wish adults were so open and so honest and so real about the future. And that's just, yeah, that's just devastating. I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, um, Jared, take us back into your story. And uh, how, so you're 19, you're on that mountain Googling, you know, painless ways to kill yourself. And here you are a decade later in a, in a very different place. Just take your time and walk us through that journey. Because I talk to a lot yeah. of leaders and I tell my burnout story and, you know, they're like, I'm burned out. And sometimes that comes with suicidal thoughts. Sometimes mm -hmm. that comes with, I don't know the way out. I don't know the way back. And if it's not, you know, the leader listening, there's somebody in our orbit who's going through that probably. So what, yeah. tell us your story. So for me sitting, sitting in my car and, you know, I said, I was Googling painless ways to commit suicide. I was, I was giving God every word in the book. I mean, I was going to be honest with you. I was mm. mad. I'm yelling, I'm crying, I'm cursing, I'm screaming. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm giving God everything. I'm frustrated. I, I'm, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm, it, it was just a, one of those moments where the culmination of everything just begins to boil up and it's about to explode, you know, or it did explode and I'm just giving yeah. it to God. And there's this one moment. And I don't say that God said to me very often, because I believe that is a very bold statement to say. Yeah. Um, if I say God said, 
Um, it's because I, I felt something within my spirit, or maybe I audibly heard for this. I would say it's a combination of both. I felt like I audibly heard in this moment, I'm yelling at God and I'm like, God, you know, I don't want to feel like this anymore. I I hate this. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to feel like this anymore. And I remember God just literally, it was like a dumb moment responding back to me and going, I don't want you to feel like this anymore either. Like, (laughs) duh. And it was kind of like, here's the thing. It was kind of like one of those duh moments where I went, oh my gosh, everything I've read in the Bible, everything I've heard in messages, everything I've, I've heard in worship songs, all back up what God just told me. I mean, God just backed up what all these things tell me. Of course, you don't want me to feel like this anymore. Okay, but now, but now, God, like, what do I do to get out of this? And that began my journey of reaching out to friends and admitting that I needed some help and going to a local church and giving my life to Christ or God saved me, whatever side of the coin you're on. I don't want to offend anybody, whatever. (laughs) I I really, I don't even. You're not out to debate the finer points. It does not matter. I don't care what side of the coin you're on. I gave my life to Christ. God saved me. And then it was an ongoing journey of me continuing to admit my brokenness, admit that I needed community, finding accountability, seeking professional help, seeking pastoral help, then the decision for me to get on medication after seeking professional and pastoral um, help. And that has now been a journey where I got baptized January 7th, uh, January 8th, uh, no, January 7th, 2008 is when I gave my life to Christ and got baptized. And that began my journey of finding freedom and hope in Christ. And what I tell people is I cannot say that God has fully freed me from depression. I can't. I'd be lying. I take an antidepressant every single day. But what I can say is that God has given me the strength and the courage to rise above the lies that depression and anxiety tell me on a daily basis. Those are two completely different things. But I have that freedom now because God's given me the strength to ignore the lies that depression tells me about myself. That is a big part of, I, I mean, I'm not an expert. I, you know, probably spent three or four months depressed when I was burning out. But uh, even in tough seasons in leadership, you know, there are the lies that leaders believe and the lies that people believe. What were some of the lies that had a grip on your heart and your mind in the dark moments? Oh, it's the, honestly, it's the typical ones that if you ask anybody who is at one point in their life suicidal, these are what went through their brain. Nobody's going to care if you're gone. You're not a, you're not a, um, a vital part of this, uh, of, of this world. Your life doesn't matter. You're not really that skilled. You're not, you know, you're not really a great guy. No one really cares about you. You're no one would blink an eye if you were to leave today. Like all of those things, it's, it's, it really is the typical cliche, but that's what goes through your head. Yeah. You know, no one cares. It's very real, right? Like when you're, when you're hearing those lies, when you're hearing those voices, promptings, feelings, whatever, they're a hundred percent believable. Right. Oh, in that 100%. moment. Yeah. yeah, because it's it's you don't have any no one else knows what you're thinking. So you don't have anyone else to combat it. And if your relationship with God isn't going too well, you don't have God's strength and hope in, in your life to help combat. You're you're on your own. And yeah, Satan likes to do that. I, I don't I don't believe that mental health is just a. A, a mental health issue. I also believe it is a very spiritual issue as well. I believe it's both. Um, and Satan will take advantage of that and manipulate and screw you up any way that he can. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was a, 
those were definitely some really hard times. But those statements that I felt like were being impressed onto me, that those thoughts I had, no one would care if you're gone. You're really not that cool of a guy anyways. You know, you're you're not talented. You're not a a, a vital part of this world. You're not skilled. You're not going to do anything good with your life. Um, Those are all things that I really did believe. And that's what led me to that point sitting on that, you know, top of that little mountain in my car. So it's a spiral. And I mean, what tends to happen is it gets deeper and deeper, darker and darker. Talk about, um, you know, you feel, and I, I buy that, that God spoke to you. You heard from God that he doesn't want you to feel that way either. What were your next steps? Like what started to tangibly reverse that spiral to the point where those voices got quieter or disappeared yeah. for seasons and you got healthier? Well, it's funny. So it wasn't actually something that I decided to do. The next day I went to work uh, and I, I worked at Best Buy at the time. I actually worked okay. for Geeks. I worked for Geek Squad. And uh, <laughs> I always tell every time I say that, I go, you're welcome, because I, you know, I saved all your guys' computers back in the day. Um, <laughs> and I had a guy walk up to me and said, Jared. And I went, yeah, what's up? And he goes, hey, so and so from um, from high school. I said, man, how you doing? And we started talking anyways. He said, what are you up to now? I kind of explained what I was doing. He said, hey, he said, this might be really random, but are you going? You want to go to church with me tomorrow? And I was like, no. Little did he know the conversation I just had with God the night before. <laughs> I was like, no, nah, man, I'm good. You know, I, I, I'm good. Thank you, though. He's like, no, man, it's just really cool. You know, college ministry. I really think you dig it. I'm like, hey, man, I'm just, I'm not in that mood right now. He's like, well, can I at least take you to lunch? And I said, you know what? That I'm not gonna, you know, turn down free lunch. Uh, so he took me where every Christian takes uh, people for lunch, Chick Fil A. So you went and, to Chick-fil-A, uh, and yep, it was the Christian Chick chicken that turned your yep. life around. Is that yep. it? He was looking for the conversion, so he took me to Chick-fil-A. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and we began sitting there, and he just said, man, I, w- I would really you know, want to know more about what's been going on, man. I haven't really heard of you. I've heard some rumors about some things you were doing, and I just thought to myself, man, that's not Jared, you know? And so think about it. And so I went home, long story short, I texted him that night, and I said, hey, man, I'll go with you tomorrow. So that next day, wow, I get invited to church, and I go— and I walk into this building where at the time uh, I walk in and there are 2,500 young adults between the ages of 18 and 30 worshiping yeah. God together on a Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Wow. I walk in and I see people that are dressed like me, that look like me. I see people that don't look like me. I see people from high school. I see people from middle school. I see people that I work with. And I'm going, what is this place? And and then the pastor starts to get up and talk about this message about lukewarm Christianity and how you say you love God, but you don't really act upon it and how, or maybe you once had a relationship with God and now you don't and you're looking for it and you're hopeless and you're you're looking for a way out of that that deep pit. And I'm sitting here crying and I'm like, this message is for me, you know, kind of the, the typical wow. thing. And it was that moment where I said, okay, God, I am all in with this. And so this is what happened. So that, that night I say, I gave my life to Christ. And literally the next day I got called into the office of the senior pastor and some of the uh, the youth leaders. And they said, Hey, a lot of people here know of you from high school and they're, you know, or friends are friends with you They you know, they think you have potential to be a really great leader. I mean, would you be interested in doing an internship? And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like I'm literally still like, I'm still wet from being baptized. And they're like, uh-huh. you want to internship? I'm like, I don't even know what that is because I know nothing about, Christian subculture, or I don't know any of this. And they said, would you want to intern? I said, yeah, I would love that. And so immediately, Carrie, 
I had accountability in my life because I had pastors pouring into me, people who uh, valued me. They saw potential in me. They saw purpose in me. They saw worth in me. I had I had a small group of guys I'm doing life with. There were four other interns. Those guys then became my best friends, and those are guys I'm sharing when I have dark you know moments. We're sharing those moments with each other. It was immediate community, uh, mm-hmm. and it was a it was like God set everything up to say, man, if you just surrender all that you are, I will provide you with everything you need to make sure that this pr- depression doesn't get the best of you again. Does that mean that I never had bad days? No. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that I never had um, like random suicidal thoughts again? No. Um, But it helped me so much. And I can honestly say that within the last five years, those I have not had a suicidal thought in the last five years. Um, My my mental health is at the best place it has ever been in my entire life. And I attribute attribute that to number one accountability, continuing to dig into God's word. I attribute that to, I seek account. I have a counselor I go to every single mm-hmm. month because I believe every pastor needs a pastor. Every pastor needs a counselor. Even if you're fine and you think you're perfect and you don't think you need one, you probably need one. Just go yeah. for it. And yeah. all these things have helped me um, become the best version of myself that I can be the person that God has created me to be. So then I can go step out and do the work of God and help others that are in need. So how long did that journey take you, um, you know, to get to the point where you thought, huh, I think I'm relatively healthy now, like as healthy as we get on this side of heaven. Was that a couple of years, a couple of months? What, how long? I think I was in denial for a while, uh, thinking to myself, and I think this was the spiritual side of, of you know, wh- whether you want to call it Satan or whatever, you know, me thinking, man, I, I, I feel like a completely different person. I'm getting out of this. And then this little voice in the back of my head going, no, you're not. You're you, you're not really that different. You still do this and you still. And so I think for me, um, I really realized it the last probably three, four years um, as things started getting progressively better. I really realized it the last two years of like, wow, this hard work that I put into making myself better, you know, self-care, whatever you want to talk, uh, yeah, uh, want to call, call it that. Um, has been incredible. And so I'm at the point now where I feel like, wow, now's the time for me to write about this journey because I, I, the journey is never over. I mean, I might, this is something I deal with for the rest of my life and I'm, I'm fine with that. This is something that God could literally take away from me with a snap of a finger in five seconds. I just don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah. So anyways, no, and, and, uh, medication, so talk about that, because there is still in some circles a stigma around that. And they're like, well, Jared, if you just had enough faith, you wouldn't be on an antidepressant every day, right? You've heard that a uh, thousand times. What, what do you say to that line of thinking? Okay, uh, don't, uh, whoever is listening that maybe think that way, don't take this offensively. First of all, I laugh at that statement. Um, okay. uh, and not in a mean way. I laugh at that statement. Um, here's the thing. In the same way that... Most pastors wouldn't be caught dead walking into a children's hospital and telling little kids with cancer that if they just had enough faith and stopped taking their chemotherapy, that God would take care of them. Uh, In the same way that's true, I don't. I go, you wouldn't don't tell somebody that's trying to take care of their brain to not take a medication if it's helping them. A pastor wouldn't be caught dead doing that. I mean. In the same way that we take, you know, pastors take medication for their high blood pressure. I mean, the only people, in my opinion, 
who have a foundation, and even though I'd still disagree with them, they have a foundation to tell me that statement is somebody who literally takes zero medication for anything. They don't take Tylenol when they have a bad headache. They don't take allergy medicine. They don't have an inhaler when they have asthma. Uh, They make sure that they don't take an epidural if they're having a baby, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. The only people that I think can have a valid point to stand on when they're telling me that statement, and I'd still disagree with them, is somebody who literally takes medication for nothing. Because in turn, then I would say, well, you should just have enough faith and God should take care of you for that, right? Here's the thing. Do I believe that God has the power through his son, Jesus, that died on the cross with the power of the Holy Spirit to heal literally anybody of any ailment in the entire world? Yes. Does that mean he will? No. And so what I have to realize is that God has placed people on this earth, mind you, good Christian Bible-believing people who God has given wisdom and knowledge to create medicine that help people who are believers get back to the person that God originally created them to be instead of thinking they're a worthless piece of trash that like depression makes you think about yourself. Yeah. And I agree with that for the record. I mean, I have good friends who are on antidepressants. Uh, I personally haven't been, but I do take uh, medication every day for a stomach condition I have, just uh, acid reflux. And I've had asthma since I was a baby. Without medication, I wouldn't be here. Um, yeah. You know, and so there is, though, and I, I say this as someone who agrees with you, an interplay between over medicating a problem and dealing with its root. So oh, de- depression can be a chemical imbalance. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm not a scientist, but I'm just going to say I'm okay with that idea. On the other hand, uh, loss triggers depression. You know, your story yeah. started with a tremendous loss where some of your identity got placed in the wrong things where, huh? um, but all of a sudden your whole life got arrested and, you know, you went from having a future to no future as you could see it, et cetera, yep. et cetera. And loss is a huge trigger for depression. That's why spouses, you know, who have lost their their spouse fall into depression. Parents who have lost a child, people who lose a job, people who have financial loss, they, they fall in depression. Talk about, in your experience, how much of that reconstruction came on the counseling side and uh, as opposed to just pure medication, which has been an important part of your, yeah. your, your therapy. And so I would be the first to admit, and so would my father, who's actually uh, uh, works for the world's biggest pharmaceutical company, would be the other person to admit uh, antidepressants are overly prescribed like candy, hands down. They literally, someone can walk in, find someone who's never dealt with depression or is not currently dealing with depression, tell them to go lie to a doctor and say, I'm having having this, this, and this, and a doctor will prescribe them an antidepressant. It's overly prescribed like candy. Well, and I think in some measure, and I have lots of medical friends, but I think sometimes the doctor doesn't know what to do and they don't see a spiritual solution to the problem. So why not medicate it when it might be deeper? I agree. Yeah. And so, and so basically depression comes out of two, the two main areas that depression comes out of is number one, a chemical imbalance of the brain or number two, a traumatic event. You hear that time and time again, it's one or the other. Um, the crazy thing about my family is that my father is dealt with depression. My dad's dad dealt with depression. So not only is it a chemical balance in the brain for me, it's also hereditary, yeah. which I tried to ignore and go, it's not going to happen to me. Then give the kicker of a traumatic event. I'm going, oh my gosh, you know, here I am. I, yeah. I got a double dose of that. And so uh, now I can laugh about it because it's my story. I would never joke about anyone else's, but you sure. know, I can laugh about my story. And so 
The reality is, is what people have to realize is there is the chemical imbalance of the brain side. There's the traumatic event side. What people have to realize is being sad does not mean that you are depressed. Being sad does not mean that you are depressed and you thinking that you're depressed because you're sad does not mean that you need medication. That's why I always encourage people to do the following. I don't think it's just a medical um, decision. I don't think it's just a pastoral decision. Why? Because pastors are not counselors and they're not psychiatrists unless you are then I apologize. You are. Yeah. That's if, if you're if you're Doctor Wilson, that's a different exactly. Thing. But I'm which certainly would, not Doctor Newhoff. Which Doctor Wilson sounds really great. So I would maybe <laughs> want to be that one day. But a pastor is not a counselor. As much as you want to think you are, you're not. Unless you are, I said. Then I apologize. So there is a beautiful combination, a beautiful um, um, merging when pastoral care works alongside with psychiatric care. And what happens is if you can find a psychiatrist or a counselor who also happens to be a Christian, which I would recommend you find if you are a Christian, the pastor and the counselor or your psychiatrist will work beautifully together to help find a solution for you. And then the third uh, part of this um, whole uh, situation is obviously the conversations that you're having with God personally. So it's your conversations with God, your own personal convictions. If you don't want to take medication, that's fine, but don't do it because you just don't want to do it. You know, if it's a pride thing, sometimes you maybe got to work through that, but have your conversations with God, have your conversations with your pastor, have your conversations with a counselor, a licensed psychiatrist, take those three things together and bring them all into one place and go, okay, guys, all of you guys love me and want the best for me. What do you think the best decision for me is? And after they give you that decision, then you still have a decision for yourself whether or not you're going to pursue it. I think that's a, that's a really sound approach. Now, one thing I just want to say for listeners is please, please, please do not change your course of therapy based on anything you hear in this interview. I'm not a doctor. Yeah. Jared's yeah. not a doctor. <laughs> yeah, we're not. Uh, please talk to a local counselor. Yep. And, you know, I think probably one of the most encouraging things is if you're struggling with this, uh, break the silence. Just break yeah. the silence. Go talk to somebody who can help. And maybe that starts by talking to the person closest to you, and tomorrow you book in with a counselor and your medical doctor. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's a very sound approach. Why do you think, I think we've answered this one. You know, why do you think so many Christians struggle with this idea that you can't medicate it away? Um, I think you're right. I I think very few people really have the right to say that in the first place. Um, For you, to the degree that you're comfortable sharing, what were some of the light bulbs that went on in counseling that helped you connect the dots between life circumstances and the emotions you were feeling? Um, I think it was was actually a combination of both counseling and the pastoral wisdom that I was getting, I think, okay. um, or, or, or what is the, what's the exact question that you're asking? What? Yeah. So what I'm asking is I know in my story, you know, there are things that happened to me when I was a kid and it wasn't abuse or anything like that. It was just, you know, that for me, love equaled performance. So I became a performance addict. I had yeah. to, you know, little things like that, that, that are oh, idiosyncratic, okay. but what were some of the things that, you know, you've, you've corrected mentally slash spiritually that have really helped you stay healthy? Uh, so number one, uh, the spiritual side, trying to do things on my own, not letting mm. God into the picture because Jared could do it. And it, here's the thing. I think a lot of times I wasn't even thinking of it as a prideful thing. It was like, God, I don't want to burden you, so I'll just take care of it. 
I I was like, God, I feel bad. I don't want to burn you. So I'll take care of it. So it was letting God in and realize that I can't do things in my own strength. The second part, and this is a big one for a lot of people is people pleasing. Uh It was me having my worth based on the opinions of everybody else. I, that has been hands down the biggest thing that I've had to wrestle through and thank the Lord Almighty that about three and a half years ago, I found complete freedom to that to where I don't care. Like literally, you asked me four years ago if I tweet something and someone has something bad to say about it, I immediately start racking my brain going, wait, should I delete this? Did I say something wrong? Uh, you know, oh, I didn't mean it that way. Now I just realize I could literally say the sky is blue and some dude with a stinking Twitter account is going to go, well, actually, the sky is this color and it reflects <laughs> off the color of the it. I could say anything. I could say God is love and someone's going to go, well, actually. And I'm like, come on. So I have to realize that I'm 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 not going to be able to um, get the approval of, of everybody in this world because it just it's not like that. And so I found freedom from that a long time ago. But that was one of the big things for me. I was always worried about, did I say the right, even like during conversations, did I say the right thing? Did that sound stupid? What are they thinking about me right now? If I say this, will they like me? If I say this, will they maybe think I meant this? And I was literally analyzing everything that was going on, the way I was walking, the way I was talking, the way I was dressing, everything I was doing was to try to impress the people around me. Um, And I was in doing that, I was forgetting about who I was uh, and letting go of my own, you know, self-worth. So what was the difference for you? How did, I mean, that's a pretty common struggle for a lot of people. And you have degrees of extremity where some people really are people pleasers. But, you know, how did, what, what, how did the penny drop for you? Why, why does that not bother you or make you so insecure yeah. anymore? I'm not one for Christian cliches ever because mm-hmm. they're cliches for a reason. But I mean this with all of my heart. I truly found my worth and my uniqueness and my identity in who God says I am. And I realized wholeheartedly that I'm not going to be liked by everybody because I don't have the same beliefs as everybody. I don't dress the same way as everybody. And I'm okay with that. And that's just something that I guess after a long time of studying God's word and praying and being more open about what I was feeling, I, I found release from that. And it was just one of those things where I was like, okay. I'm okay with not being liked sometimes now. And I, and that's all because I've really found a foundation for my identity in Christ. And I don't mean to sound cliche. I mean that with all my heart. How do you keep yourself healthy? Uh, lots of different ways. Number one, I got a wife who is awesome and will call <laughs> me out. If I am if I am not being myself, if she thinks I'm not telling the whole truth. So number one, I mean, my wife is my partner in crime. I love her with all my heart. Number two, I've got about five guys that I basically are my pastoral accountability. They live all throughout the country. They have obviously my phone number. They they follow me on Twitter and all my social sites. They have full access to my life to call me out on something or to ask if I'm okay or to call me in the middle of the night and I answer. Those guys can ask me anything. I'll tell them anything. Um, Number three, I see a counselor every month um, and he's this guy. uh, I won't say his name. Just I don't know if there's like a a weird uh, legality issue between that, but he's this uh, big, tall South African guy. He's incredible and uh, he's just an awesome dude. And uh, (laughs) me and him are have super honest conversations about life and ministry and he's a Christian and marriage. And, 
Um, the other side is I, I do take an antidepressant um, every single day. Um, I will say that over the last five, six years, the dosage of the antidepressant keeps on going down, and I don't mm. see a difference in the way that I'm acting, which is really good. Um, and then obviously the obvious ones are studying God's word and um, playing with my kids and getting outside and not, not staying inside all day, um, doing things that excite me, doing things that I love, not burning myself out with work. I mean, I, the list goes on. Okay. No, that that's really, really good. So there are leaders listening who are struggling with depression, anxiety, even suicidal thoughts. What are some first steps? If you could say, you know, we've hinted at this already, but if you could say, here's, here's what I would suggest you do before you go to bed tonight, what would you say? If somebody is having suicidal thoughts, the first thing I would do is schedule an appointment with a counselor ASAP or a psychiatrist mm-hmm. ASAP. Uh, and if you're feeling down. it's serious, go to the hospital, right? Exactly. If, yeah, you, if yeah, you're yeah. feeling this, if, serious, you're, go like, to the if you're sitting right there on now. a mountain Googling ways to die, exactly. Um, <laughs> go to the hospital. Go uh, to, and any counselor yeah. would tell you that. Uh, here's the thing. Yeah. I'm not, I am not a psychiatrist or a counselor. I'm the guy that's advocating for the psychiatrist and the counselors to say, yeah. if you're feeling like, if you're feeling suicidal or that you want to end your life or you're, you're planning ways of how you would end your life and what life would be like without your fam, all these things, go see a counselor right now. If the counselors are, are closed or it's the middle of the night, call a friend, let them know what you're going through while you're driving to the hospital so they can keep you accountable and make sure that you're okay. I mean, you have, sometimes you just, someone might go, man, that's a little overboard. No, it's not because your life is at stake and you're, your kids having a parent is at stake and your 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 church having a pastor is at stake and your your mom having a son is at stake or whatever it may be your your mom having a daughter is at stake so yeah i think i think tell someone that's my first piece of advice to tell someone and then you know you start the journey to reparation and it's going to look a little bit different for everybody um, yeah. your book is called love is oxygen and tell me a little bit about that metaphor. What does that mean? So the way this book was such a fun book to write because the first part of the book is how I was in a, a hopeless, dark time in my life. Um, I say in the book that I was not living. I was simply existing, which I feel like a lot of us are. And in the same way that oxygen gives life to the human body, I believe that God's love gives life to the soul. And so yeah. I found life by encountering the love of God and then the, the rest of the book. So the first chapter is all about my encounter with God's love and the hope that it gave me and the way it changed my life. The whole rest of the book is how I've seen God's love infect and change the lives of people around me. Hmm. Now, anxiety, depression, I mean, those are, in many ways, I think you could see them as barriers to God's love, Yeah. right? And there was a season probably where you didn't feel loved by God at all. What, how did, how did that change? Yeah. You know, and I I don't want to lie because I don't know the exact, I don't Mm -hmm. know the exact moment. I do know that the moment that I say I'm crying out to God yelling, just literally throwing up everything that I feel about him, everything I'm feeling about life. That was a big turning point for me. I mean, a lot of people, you're not going to find change in your life until you can start admitting the things that are 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 hurting you and and the things that are broken and you can't find hope and you can't find healing unless you admit that you're broken i mean you can't right. unless you admit that you're sick whatever you want to call it and so that was a big turning point for me and a lot of people will tell you 
that the moment they opened up their mouth and they admitted what they were going through, that's when God started to work in their life because you're the one that's putting up the wall. You're the one that's putting up the wall and not letting God in. So it could be even, you know, not just a veneer we're keeping with the world, but like a veneer we're keeping with God. We feel that certain things are off limits or nobody can pray that way. I can't pray that way. I'm not telling God the truth and I'm not telling myself the truth. Or they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed. Mm. They feel a lot. Here's the thing that if you would just pray harder, this is why it's so terrible to say that to people is that what it does is it makes people feel like, oh, I guess I'm not that good of a Christian because I'm praying and it's not changing my my ailment isn't going away. I must be a really crappy Christian. And then yeah. that makes people think that they're not good enough for God because they must not be praying hard enough or have enough faith because God healed didn't heal them, but he healed that person. Like that's that's what that does. It it plants a seed into people's head that they're not good enough for God, which is why I just encourage people man, don't say that. <laughs> you, you can say, pray harder, but make sure you also give them other applications as well. So you got tens of thousands of church leaders listening right now, and they're all involved in ministry at churches. And, you know, I can just imagine some of them are like, wow, I'm going to have a long line outside of my office next week if I start taking this seriously. I think you've helpfully pointed out that most of us aren't really trained psychiatrists, counselors, yeah. psychologists, uh, and I'm certainly not. Um how does the church handle this better? What what are some things in small, medium, and even large-sized churches that are going to make it easier? Because, you know, two out of 10 people who are going to listen to my message this weekend are people who are currently struggling with mental health issues, yeah. according to the stats. So what do we do? Yeah, so, I mean, right now, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. Uh, every year, 42,000 Americans die by suicide. One person dies by suicide every 40 seconds somewhere in the world, and then over a million people die by suicide worldwide each year. So here's what we have to realize. You don't have to do a lot. You don't have to, you don't have to do a lot to help a lot. Um, hmm. The reality is, is that if the local church wants to be the hope of the world, then it needs to step into situations in which people find themselves hopeless. And one of those things is mental health. And so you don't doesn't mean that you have to all of a sudden have a a whole you don't have to go write 40 books and create a curriculum and and it doesn't have to be a year process. You can literally stand on stage and say, "Hey, I know that a lot of you are dealing with depression and suicidal thoughts right now. We just want to let you know as leaders of this church, we love you. We care about you. We know that that is the battle that you're dealing with and we want to be here to support you. So if you're struggling, don't be ashamed. Come talk to us. That right there, man, just talking about it is what will help end the stigma and literally could literally save lives because people could then feel like, wow, I'm not ashamed to talk to someone about my church about it because my church has my back. We had to figure this out at Connexus Church where I serve years ago as we got larger. And, you know, now one of the most frequently shared cards, docs that we have is just a list of five counselors, Christian counselors who are trained and accredited that we trust and we think help bring Jesus into the equation. Yeah. And a couple of numbers that can help just community services that we hand out again and again on everything from marriage counseling right through to uh, people who are really struggling. And then um, a really small, good small group system, I think, can help as well. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that so with the launch of this book, 
um, which is the first part is my story of encountering God's love. And in, in my in my battle was mental health. I know it's not going to reach everybody. Not, not everyone's yeah. battle with mental health, but the reality is 100% of people know of someone who has. Um, the second half of the book is how I've seen God's love, you know, transform the lives of those around me. Um, but out of this, you know, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I launched a nonprofit called Anthem of Hope. And right now, our first resource that we have, if you go on it, it's free, 100% free. There is a 24-7 live chat that anyone in the world can go to right now. And if they need somebody to talk to, we have a, what we call a hope coach. We don't call them counselors because I don't want to get sued. They're called hope coaches (laughs) and they're there to talk to you. And at the end of the conversation, you can talk as long as you want. They will encourage you with scripture. They will, you know, they can, they can give you practical ways to, to seek help. They'll listen to your story. They'll give you recommendations. Um, they help deescalate suicidal uh, situations. They're trained with that. Um, and then at the end of the conversation, they will encourage you to go see professional help. They'll give you a list of people that we they recommend, we recommend, and they'll also encourage you to go get involved with the local church in your area. That's one resource that we have. Okay, as an say the website right again. It'll be it's in the show notes. Anthemofhope.org. Dot org. Okay. Dot org. And so the second part of this nonprofit, which we have not launched yet, is that we will be now creating resources um, that I would like to give away to the local church for free, whether that is small group curriculum or journals or maybe it's a DVD curriculum, DVD, oh my gosh, VHS, um, <laughs> whatever. Right? Got a some digital, Betamax going there. Jared. I know. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm a millennial. I shouldn't be saying these things. Um, <laughs> DVD. Was fun. Sorry. Come that on. was fun. Uh, anyways, um, whatever it is, you know, uh, maybe it is a DVD or a digital download. How about that? Um, resources that people can use for their church and they can just say, Hey, we use the Anthem of Hope, Anthem of Hope resources, and you can do with it whatever you want. You create small groups out of it. You do a series out of it, whatever it may be. So the first year of the nonprofit was fully funded by myself. I fully funded everything. Um, we didn't, I mean, that's just what it was. And then now this next year is the first year that we're actually starting to take donations and going, okay, I don't take a salary off of it. I don't take anything from it. Everything goes back into the nonprofit uh, to keep the the hope coaches um, are paid, uh, obviously to keep the website running, to keep the content up, to keep everything going. And so our goal though, is to be um, a the go-to space for mental health resources for the local church. That's incredible. Uh, I'm so encouraged to hear that. Now, there are some people who don't struggle with mental health as a leader, don't lead a church or they, you know, that kind of thing. If you just got a friend or a neighbor uh, that's struggling, what are some do's and don'ts? What What are the things that, you know, you can do that would be really helpful? And what are some ways not to treat a family member, neighbor, friend, coworker, that kind of thing who's struggling with mental health? You know, one of the things that for a lot of you guys that are listening right now, um, I don't get anything for telling you to go do this. I don't get like a kickback if you sign yeah, up. Yeah. I, I don't own it. It's a thing called QPR. It's question, persuade, refer. And it's a incredible uh, suicide, basically um, prevention training that my, I went through. My wife went through it. You can look it up on our website on Anthem of Hope. There's a link for it. Hmm. Um, and it will tell you the do's and the don'ts of basically helping someone and talking with someone who you think may be going through a hard time or contemplating suicide. Uh, one of the things they say don't do is don't bet that people aren't going to do what they're saying they're going to do. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, like if you're does. saying, you know, oh, they're not really going to kill themselves. Yeah, they're not really yeah. going to harm themselves. And don't yeah. tell them that because you right. don't want to know what that's going to do. Oh, really? I won't. And then <laughs> you're the last person that they talk to. The other thing is to take everything that they say 
as 100% truth in the way that they're feeling. You don't question it. If yeah. they're saying saying they're feeling like this, you don't respond with, but that's just so dumb because your life is so good. No, they're... Yeah, or it's not really that bad. Yeah. It's not really that bad. Come on, look at the bright side. Their feelings are their truth and you accept it even if you think it is 100% bonkers. It is their truth and you accept it. I don't, I've never used the word bonkers until right there. I love so it. I don't it's know. It's such a good word. It's that a good is, word. I'm bringing that is it back. awesome. Along with DVD. Bringing um, bonkers back. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I think, I think that's really true. And you know what? I've been guilty of that in the past. Uh, Pre burnout, I used to minimize people's feelings. And once you burn out and you've been in that pit, you're like, whoa, okay, that's what yeah. it feels like. And now I'm like, you know, and you can, you can see. I mean, when I had a really good life when I burned out. And yet in my mind, it was all going south until yeah. you had the thing where God said, I don't want you to live that way. I feel like God said to me, and this was the beginning of the turnaround, Carrie, this is all in your head. Like, look yeah. at your life. It's good. And I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is all in my head. And, yeah. you know, it was just one of those things. But well, the persuade, part of that, yeah. The persuade part of that, the QPR question, persuade, the persuade part is all about the person telling the person who's going through the hard time, it's persuading them and basically and reminding them that their life matters. It's going, ah. no, you don't want to do that. You, you, you are an incredible person. God loves you. You have a purpose in this world. Life matters. It is persuading that person to remember, um, not like you said, not telling them, what, what do you mean? You have so much to be thankful for. Well, that's dumb that you're feeling that. No, it's just reminding yeah. them about how valuable that they are. Uh, and then the refer part, is just referring them to go seek help. Um, but the, the first part of it is actually really quite interesting. It's question. I thought going into suicide prevention that you kind of, you don't ask, are you thinking about suicide? Like you don't just jump into it, you know? Right. I, but everything that I've read has said, no, you don't beat around the bush. You go straight to that question and you go, wait a minute, are you at all thinking of suicide? And right. then it's it's a question that they then have to answer. Um, and so anyways, I, I don't, I would rather people take the course and hear it from the people who specialize in giving this course instead of hearing it from me. But like I said, I don't get a kickback from it. I don't even no, know no. the people. I just do it because it's awesome and it's called QPR. But, um, but we'll yeah. link to it in the show notes. We'll, we'll yeah. definitely link to it. Jared, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. And I know you've helped a lot of leaders today. If they want to know more, where they where can they find you? And just one more time for Anthem of Hope. Yeah, so if you want to connect with me, I mean, my name is spelled very uniquely. So it's Jared Wilson. It's J-A-R-R-I-D Wilson. I mean, you're the one to talk about unique spelling. So. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I own the TM on my name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, other than that, you can go to anthemofhope.org. And that's the same thing for all the socials. It's just Anthem of Hope. Um, but if you need anything, let me know. I tell this to leaders all the time. Uh, the reality is, is I, I won't say names, but I get DMs and messages and emails from church leaders all the time going, hey, I don't really know who to talk to at my church. So can I talk to you? I can be that guy for you if you want someone to reach out to. So uh, let me know. I'm always here to chat. Confidential. I can be a guy that uh, you can just, you know, a scratching post and I, I can chat with you. Well, thanks so much, Jared. I really appreciate your time today. And once again, we'll link to everything in the show notes. Thanks, man. Awesome. Thank you so much. Don't you think that honest conversations are like the best conversations? And I know sometimes it can be really hard to go there, but man, go there. And I just I just want to encourage you, if if you find yourself in a trough right now in a difficult place, 
do something about it, okay? We're on your side. We're in this together. Part of leading like never before is just actually staying in the game and keeping your heart healthy. And and don't just do that like to be a leader. Do that because, you know, people care about you. People love you. People, God loves you. And uh, we got to get through this together. So anyway, that's on my heart today. Hey, we are back next week with a fresh episode. I want to give you a little sample of it. And we're having a conversation with the one and only Erwin McManus. And he had a big life scare actually about a year ago. And uh, man, he talks about it. He's got his latest book out called The Last Arrow. I have a great conversation with him. Here's uh, an excerpt for you. I, I couldn't imagine being angry when um, God has been like so incredibly good to me and my life has been uh, such an extraordinary gift. I mean, and uh, it's, it, 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 would, it just felt to me like it was, it was just, it would be such an inappropriate emotion for me. And um, I, I didn't feel bitterness. I just, I just felt this overwhelming gratitude that um, I've gotten to live the life I've had and um, that there are things I love, people I love that I would want to leave behind. Uh, that didn't make me feel bitter. It just created for me an overwhelming sense of gratitude and an awareness of how beautiful life is. So that is next week on the podcast, and uh, I'm really excited for that conversation. By the way, subscribers, you get that automatically, so just subscribe if you haven't done that yet. And if this has been helpful to you, would you share it with a friend? That means so, so much. Um, if you would do that and even drop by the iTunes store or wherever you get your podcasts and uh, leave a rating and review. I read every single one of them, and I'm so grateful for you. You guys, you make this wonderful. Thanks so much for listening. We're back next Tuesday with a fresh episode, and I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.